Damon, how are you, my friend? Well, yeah, I'm fine. I'm not sure about my, <clears throat> you know, my, my thing I sit on. Oh, why? What have you been up to? Well, I've been the last three days, I have been pedalling my bicycle with a bunch of other guys and girls across France on a charity bike ride called the Halo 250. 250 is obviously the miles we cover in the in the three days. But I bought, it's very expensive. I had a very expensive seat fit. And I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to do it properly this time. Anyway, they sold me this saddle and I'm not quite sure it was right. Anyway, so I am sitting down now, but it's a little painful. I'm surprised to see you sitting down. That's amazing. 250 miles in three days. Yeah, it's 80, 80 or five miles the first day. It was 110 the next day. They shortened that leg a little bit. And then it was 55 miles the last day. Last day's easy, but, you know, you have to catch the ferry. That's the thing. A bit in France is it's a bit of a race, you know, and you know how much I like to race, Tom. You know, and so we we oh, were we were hammering across yeah. France. It was great. It was a headwind, so everyone was in a peloton, and we were wheel to wheel, and you know, and rotating and all that stuff. It was good fun. And you were racing, well, um, sneaking down the inside of people. I can't race them uphill, so I have to get them on the downhill. So, I, and there were some lovely downhill sections, and I had a cheeky overtake around the outside, a bit sort of Valentino Rossi, and um, yeah, it's good fun. Oh, Damon, it's fantastic. You, you sound a bit Barry Whitish today, actually. You sound, are you quite cooked? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cooked. I, yeah, and, and yeah, it's exhausting. I mean, you know, I'm 61, Tom. You know, I'm not, 250 you know, I'm not, miles, I'm not 61. a spring chicken anymore. When you get an event, when you've been used to doing races like I have all my life, you get pumped for an event. You can't help it. And you want to, you know, give it everything you've got. So uh, it's, it's like F1. It just is relentless, Tom. Life is a lifelong battle. It's a struggle. It's, and it's the struggle that we enjoy, you know, putting something in. I thought you were about to start singing to me then. Life is a roller coaster or something. But hey, Damien, I'm hugely impressed, as I'm sure all of our listeners are. But should we talk Formula One? Well, this is what we're here to do, Tom. We are here to talk about this amazing season, the new regulations, the change at the top. The kind of knocking on the door that Red Bull had and the hinges fell off, didn't it, before they got to the end in the last few races. But this time, there's both cars stay together and they put one over, I think, on Ferrari in their backyard. Welcome to F1 Nation with me, Tom Clarkson, and that man over there, the cyclist that is Damon Hill. So, Damon, we haven't caught up since Imola. What did you make of that? What did you make of that Red Bull 1-2? Well, I thought it was I thought it was a good competitive race. I mean, didn't, don't forget, it wasn't a walkover. And poor old Carl Saints could have been in the mix, but he, he's in the wards and he's, got, he's done something wrong. He needs to change the way he gets out of bed in the morning or something. You know, he's having so much bad luck. It's, it's, it's really a bit unfair. But there you go. Charles was there and put the pressure on Bart. Red Bull, I think Max, Max's Red Bull and Sergio kept them honest as well. So they, they've done something right. The, the true performance and potential of that Red Bull was shown in Imola and it looked not so easy for Ferrari. It was going to be a close race. So the championship is, is definitely game on. Well, there were no development parts on the Ferrari at Imola. And I think this will have kick-started the need for them to start pushing stuff through now in Maranello. So we're going to see updates on that car in Miami this weekend. But it raises the question. We do talk about this quite a lot on the show, don't we? But which car, Damon, 
Would you mm. rather be driving now? Is it the Ferrari with updates coming or or the Red Bull, which had a whole host of, of upgrades in Imola that seemed to work? Yeah. Which one? Well, the upgrade thing is a very interesting one because they've also got these constraints now that are going to apply to the teams that have had the most points from the previous season and so forth. So the, the restrictions on development, and I think it was Adrian you were talking to after Imola, and he was saying that they have to be very careful about when they bring these upgrades and which ones they apply because they can't just throw stuff at it anymore. So they're sitting down and thinking about it, and it's a bit like playing poker. They need to know which card to lay down when. You know, do they play their race now or do they wait a couple of races until they're absolutely sure that what they're going to play is is the winning hand? You know, so it is going to be interesting. I'd like to see a season where you get leapfrogging. So maybe Ferrari come in, but maybe maybe Red Bull have decided to hang on. They've played their their little trump card uh, Imola and they're hanging on for a bit which is what Adrian was sort of suggesting, wasn't it? But maybe mm. Ferrari now are going to come, okay, we haven't been resting, resting on our laurels. We haven't been, you know, doing nothing and, and, and assuming we're going to succeed. We've got this package now and we're going to bring it into play in Miami. Well, that would be good. So you get this, you can't predict the form, you know, through the season and that would be great. Well, that's what Adrian Newey said, wasn't it? We had the fastest car this weekend in Imola, but that doesn't mean we're going to have the fastest car in Miami, in Barcelona, in Monaco. So, I'm going to ask you this question again. Which I didn't car? answer. Did Wait, I not no, answer yeah. your question, Tom? <laughs> uh, basically, yeah, you asked me which one would I go for, and I'm telling you, it's a very hard call. Would you completely rule out Mercedes? I mean, they've got a lot to think about, but perhaps they could throw themselves into the pot. They, they've basically, you know, they again have even less resources that they can use because they've had so much success. So they're actually on the on the limit almost with uh, how much development, wind tunnel, and all the rest of it they can do and put and resources, financial resources. So, Damon, I'm really interested that you've you've thrown Mercedes, you know, into the mix there. You know, they've got almost half the points in the constructors' championship of, yeah. of the leaders Ferrari, and yet you still think they're going to be playing. Okay, they're, they're off the pace. They're almost a second off the pace, right? But that's because they can't get their car low enough. And they can't get their car low enough because of this porpoising. You look at you look at the front end of these cars now. They've got these underneath the bib, the little bit that the where the skid plate is at the front, just behind the driver's knees almost, vertically down, the bit that touches the ground. They've got these dampers. They've got these, they're kind of fairly serious looking bits of kit that are doing something. And I, I'm wondering whether it's just simply a damper that when the car decks, it somehow stops it from springing back up again quite so much so it could be the actual f- floor hitting that's setting off the oscillation so anyway there's some complicated bit of uh, contraption underneath the front end of some of the cars if mercedes can work out how to get the car lower and if you're it, it's an exponential curve so it doesn't go up linearly it'll go up exponentially so the you know if you can get your car half a centimeter lower you get maybe double the amount of downforce Hmm. or efficiency so they've got to control that really difficult increment in in downforce i mean it, it wants to suck so hard that it actually wants to suck onto the ground that you've got to get it as close as you can without it hitting a bump and then releasing and, and going into that crazy oscillation we saw so we haven't seen the full potential of the mercedes car is what i'm saying oh i would agree with that the, the wind tunnel numbers i get told 
are sensational. And if they can transfer what they're seeing in the wind tunnel onto the racetrack, it will be a race winning car. But yeah, you know, that's that's sort of what I'm sort of what I'm thinking is because because we're so early in the development of these new regulations. There's this there's this really tantalizing massive carrot (laughs) that's dangling right in front of them at Mercedes, but they can't get to it because every time they get too close to it, it kind of someone the guy with the stick just pulls it out of the way. It's an interesting point as we go to Miami, brand new racetrack, new asphalt that is likely to be very very smooth because it's new. I wonder whether that really could play oh, into is it the head. smooth? Is it smooth or is it abrasive? I thought they made this special abrasive. I'm talking one. in terms of bumps, actually. And bumps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think lack of bumps. You'd, you'd expect there to be very few bumps on a, on a brand new circuit, wouldn't you? So whether that'll play into the hands of Mercedes, and maybe we start to see Lewis Hamilton and... Well, I was going to say Lewis Hamilton and George Russell up at the sharp end. But hey, just mm. quick mention of George Russell. Fourth place. Ah. Oh. No, he's done an absolutely brilliant job and is looking strong i think lewis has been a little unlucky and i think he's been uh, delving around and been happy to play the the guy who tries the experimental setup for for mm. mercedes a bit because he's got more experience with them so perhaps they you know he's he's gone the wrong way sometimes and that has made him look worse off than he really is against george but george is definitely doing a sterling job and i think that's a very firm foundation for him going forward i mean he's not humiliated Lewis in any way I don't think I, I, don't, I don't see it like that I think as I said I, I, you know that Lewis is maybe he's a little bit downhearted a little bit as well and, Lewis, and George is you know very very keen to establish himself and he has to let's be honest with the get the way this game is played is if you come into a team and you've been brought in and you don't show your credentials pretty damn quick then uh, people start going oh no good you know that's they don't waste any time before they start putting the the dampers on someone so he's done the right he's done the, a good job but whether that he can keep that up all season if lewis finds what he needs from the car we, we shall see mm. now look one final point about imola i wanted to run through with you was lando norris yeah he finishes third for the second year in a row he loves that racetrack i love talking tears what tears are drivers in right if tier mm. one is 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 lewis hamilton and it's something actually i put to tom christianson nine-time yeah. lamar winner but if you've got lewis and max and Charles Leclerc in tier one with the likes of carlos Sainz, lando norris are, are they tier one in tier, tier one, one or are they tier one they're tier both one. tier one lando and i think george as well yeah. i think they're tier one drivers i don't think i'd put them up as high as, as charles Leclerc, you know and level max is exceptional Max is something else, as is Lewis. Oh, okay. So they're they're tier one A. One A, yeah. A yeah. A star. Okay. I think so. But well, we haven't seen enough of the others. What they can do under a stress situation, you know how they how much fight they've got in them. I mean, we've seen with Charles, of course, Imla was an opportunity to consolidate, and he went for a move which was it, it was just a little bit too ambitious. I mean, he called it greedy. And I was watching, sitting down, <laughs> literally, I almost grabbed my wife's leg as, as he turned in. And I went, because they showed it from the onboard, didn't they? And the moment he turned in, you knew it, it was too much. I mean, I'm not even in the car and I could see it on the telly. I was going, that is not going to work. Boom, spun off. And is that what he means by too greedy, taking too much curb? Yeah, it was one of those. I mean, he just thought, I'll launch it over the curb. And it was just far too ambitious. And you think, why do that? when you've got so much responsibility and that's the sort of thing that you you need to 
weed out of your portfolio as a as a top driver you can't you can't be doing rash moves like that you know it is you look at Sergio Sergio is a safe pair of hands he's quick and he's a safe pair of hands he hardly ever does anything crazy he's he's really good well can, can I add another driver into that list Lando Norris safe pair of hands yeah well let's talk more about McLaren now it's been a roller coaster season for the team so far If you need reminding, in the season opening Bahrain Grand Prix, they were nowhere, 14th and 15th, almost a minute behind the winner. But in Imola, just three races later, as we've said, Lando Norris finished third. That's P3, P3. Hey, we just got another podium. Who would have thought? Awesome work, everyone. Nice to see you. How much have you turned it around? Proud of you all. Well done. It's been a remarkably fast turnaround for the Papaya team. And on Friday, while Damon was on his bicyclette in France, I spoke to the CEO of McLaren F1, Zach Brown, and he told me he didn't think the podium in Imola would be possible after that first race. I left Bahrain feeling like 2017 all over again. And I thought, oh my, we spent. Uh, four or five years improving from 2017. How did we end up back here? Um, But great news is the team did an awesome job. And we identified why we were so poor in Bahrain. So while we're still only four races into it, so Bahrain still feels very raw, uh, which is good because that keeps us motivated. Uh, I'm hoping Bahrain was a bit of a, a one-off because, as you know, we missed testing there. We had our brake duct issue. So generally, uh, when everyone's testing at a racetrack, you can't run the new tires, et cetera. We can look back in Bahrain and then we kind of see why we were so poor. And and do you think now you're, you're set on a good path or do you think it might be track-specific and we'll see it fluctuate a bit? I think there's always an element of track-specific. I'd like to think uh, and hope that our low doesn't get as low as Bahrain, but uh, you know we qualified right at the sharp end in Imola, and I'm, I'm sure, unfortunately, that that probably won't be every weekend as well. So I think we'll we'll ebb and flow, but I, I hope our highs get higher and our lows don't uh, match Bahrain. Zach, what kind of a leader are you? Because you know, you say after Bahrain, it was a low and you were thinking 2017. What do you say to the guys and girls in Woking after a race like that? You know, I believe in communication. I believe in empowering people. I believe in giving people an opportunity to fix things. I expect people to work together Um uh, I expect people to be transparent. I expect good teamwork. And that's why, you know, you you give yourself a chance to recover. You know, crying over spilt milk, as the saying goes, that doesn't achieve anything. Yelling and screaming at people, which I think some of the teams do. uh, I don't think that achieves anything. I think what you got to do is buckle down and understand what's happened work harder together as a team. And, uh, you know, it's no different in in baseball. People back each other up in the outfield, you know, in case the guy 
drops the ball, there's someone else there to to grab it. So I, I think, um, you know, and not, not making silly mistakes, but learning from mistakes. I think mistakes are good learning experiences as long as you learn from them. So I, I think it's a combination of, of all of that. And, you know, Andreas is ultimately responsible for the performance of the racing team. So what's important is the team sees, which we are, Andreas and I totally united. Um, and so in, in a Bahrain situation, I know Andreas is, is on the case with his team. So I'm really here to support them on, you know, what do they need from me to you know, achieve? And, and in that instance, it was kind of give us, give us, give us some space, give us a chance to fix the issues. And it was, you've got it. Um, and anything you need, let me know. So in that instance, um, you know, not overreacting, I think is what is, is key. Let's talk specifically about Lando Norris now. Has he raised the bar again over the winter? He has. I mean, he, he is, in my opinion, as good as anyone in Formula One. Um, unbelievably fast. But the part that, you know, there's a lot of fast drivers in Formula One. I think the part I'm most impressed with Lando is how few mistakes he makes. And and his mistakes are, are small. A track limit, say, locked up a break. You, you know, you haven't seen him uh, many times put the car in the fence, you know, run wide of a corner under pressure and make a mistake. He, he's, I think, as far as pure natural talent, I think he has as much as anyone in Formula One. Do you think there's a risk that he's going to start getting frustrated about that first win? I mean, he came so close, didn't he, in Russia last year? Do you sense it? What sort of character is he? He's a very uh, humble, loyal, fun guy who likes a family atmosphere. He's you know, raised very well. He's very close with his family. His family are a great group of people. And I think he knows we don't have the fastest car on the grid. And that's why he signed up for as long as he did, is he knows we'll, we'll get there. He believes in us. And he really enjoys the environment. And I think as long as we continue to show forward progress, he'll be satisfied that his win is not far away. I mean, he could have won three races in a row last year, right? I mean, in, in Monza, there was nothing between he and Daniel. In Russia, had it not been for, um, you know, the, the call at the end of the race, that race was his to win. And, okay, Spa was, he was the fastest person in qualifying by some margin all the way up until he had his accident. So he could have won three on the trot. So I don't think he's, you know, he's ready to win for sure. We just need to put him in a position to win. And what do you make of his golf obsession? I think obsession is the right word now, yeah. Is it almost an... <laughs> I think it is. It's almost an unhealthy unhealthy obsession. Can you beat him? I can, but it's getting harder and harder. And the more he plays, the harder it gets. And um, 
we have a couple matches coming up next week. So we'll see. I just got some new clubs, which I've been told are worth at least a few strokes aside. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's close. He, um, you can tell his hand-eye coordination is pretty good. And when he hits it where he wants to hit it, he's, uh, he's unbeatable. Fortunately, he still gets some uh, rookie moves in there every once in a while. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that match. But what about Daniel Ricardo, Zach? I mean, first up, is he more comfortable in this year's MCL 36 than he was last year's? Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. Uh, his race days have been very, uh, very strong, much better in qualifying. I think, uh, you know, listening to him yesterday, or not yesterday, earlier this week with the team, I think he still doesn't feel he's, you know, 10 out of 10 on top of the car. but he he's got a great relationship with Lando. He knows the team well. Um, it was great. He was able to go back to Australia for the first time in a in a couple of years and recharge the batteries and see the family. So we're 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 really happy to see Daniel uh, uh, on top of his game. And when will you start thinking about his longer term future with the team? Probably later this this year. You know, we have a another year together um we do like to think you know long out you know hence doing some testing with pato going to do some testing with colton uh we've got ugo in in formula four put it on pole his first race so i don't think you can ever plan too early but there's no uh there's no rush look you mentioned uh, a couple of indycar drivers there which beautiful segue zach onto uh, the Miami Grand Prix uh, coming up this weekend. Um, I mean, how excited are you about this race? And, and what should Formula One fans expect this weekend? I think it's going to be a, a show second to none. It's going to be packed. Uh, I've never seen a race with so much uh, sponsor uh, demand in, in hospitality. I mean, we could, I believe we're the largest hospitality provider, certainly, if not the largest one of, and we could double up, but it was sold out from the word go. Um, I think the city is going to be booming. I think the promoter is going to be excellent. They know what they're doing. They own the Miami Dolphins. They've had the Super Bowl there not not that long ago. So I think it's going to be a spectacular event. And then, of course, we're going to have three races in America next year with, with Las Vegas joining the two that we have this year. Is that it, Zach? Is that enough for Formula One to complete its integration in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. Um, you, you know, you've also got Montreal and Mexico, so you got kind of you got it surrounded. I think there are three unbelievable venues. You know, Austin was, I believe, the biggest Grand Prix ever live attendance-wise last year. So that that race is only getting stronger and stronger. Miami's a very uh, international market. And of course, Vegas is, uh, kind of what you think of, uh, formula one with all the, the, the lights and the action. So I think you've got three unbelievable venues. Uh, you've, you've got one South and in, in North. So from an America standpoint, of course, Brazil. So I think we're really good in that whole territory. Um, and, and now, I think with Netflix and a new TV deal that's coming up, I think 
we're in a great place in North America. And if we did more, I don't think that's necessary in order to have an even bigger following. And it would then come at the cost of some other race in some other country. And so now I start to turn my attention to we need to have a bigger presence in Asia. Uh, and if we had a fourth race in America or a fifth race, that might come at the expense of, say, an Asia expansion. And I think that's the next uh, territory we need to really have some explosive growth in. Go on. You're testing Colton Herter later this year. How serious are you about him and getting an American in, in a Formula One drive? Well, we're very serious about anyone we put in our Formula One car. Um, the fact that he's American is, is, is great, but we lead with performance. Uh, you know, nationality is, is on the list, but we, we, you know, we would never select a driver for uh, commercial reasons first. You know, the first gate to get through is, do we think this driver, you know, are they world champion, Grand Prix winning, capable? And if the answer to that is yes, then we continue to proceed. If they happen to be British, because we're a British team, or American, because that's an important market, or from Asia, because that's important, that all that becomes kind of a commercial bonus. But first and foremost, we're here to win races. That's what our sponsor partners want. Um, and yeah, he's, he's been very impressive in the car. He was Lando's teammate. Uh, not long ago in Europe. So he has European racing background. So uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's give him a go and see what he's made of. And is Colton going to come to the Miami Grand Prix as, as the team's guest and just sort of get a bit of a feel and, and, and meet some of the guys and girls on the camera? Absolutely. We'll have Colton there. We'll have our, both our IndyCar drivers, Pato and Felix there. We'll have our, our brand ambassadors, Emerson Fittipaldi and Mika Hacken in there. We need as much of our star power as possible to uh, keep up with the demand of the breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and sponsor promotions that we're going to be doing all week. Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful to speak to you. Best of luck in Miami. Uh, and I think like the rest of the world, I can't wait. Me too. We'll see you there. Well, Damon, what did you make of Zach? Tom, I really like Zach. I mean, I like what I hear when I hear him talk. He makes sense to me. He says all the right things about how he, he empowers people. He also knows it's important for the for the crew not to see any kind of friction or pressure from him on, on uh, Andreas and, and his technical side. You know, he knows he's employed these guys. He knows they've got it. He'll, he will be saying to them, let me know what you need. If you need any help, I'm here to help. He's a great promoter of the sport. And I think he's backed Lando and he knows he's got a great team there and he's, he gives good answers. I, I, I think he's the right man for that, for that team at the moment, definitely. Right, I'm now going to overanalyze something that Zach said. Colton Herter, I think he's very keen on Colton, just from what mm. he said there. Yeah, I think he, well, he's obviously spotted something in Lando so he's a, quite a good talent spotter and, and he understands drivers so we still need apart from Mario Andretti and a few good uh, a couple of other good Americans Dan Gurney obviously Phil Hill Scott Speed Alexander Rossi you know we haven't had the full commitment yet but maybe the it has to come from their desire to be in it you know and I think if the desire 
is grown, if the interest in the States grows, then I think US drivers will be more keen to want to do F1. Did you see that quote from NASCAR driver Kevin Harvick recently, who said that he's worried that young American carters want to be the next Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, and they don't want to be the next Dale Earnhardt or the next IndyCar star? Well, that is what an example of what I was just trying to explain. I think that is the key, is whether it's the the desire is to be a Formula One driver. Because, I, I you know, I think we're right in suggesting that the very, very best drivers are in Formula One. Because we get, we scrutinise them to almost painful degrees, you know, and the team scrutinise them. The, the demands are really, really high in our sport. And, and you, if you're not up to it, you don't last in Formula One. And I'm not saying that's and that's not a negative against Indy or on NASCAR. Obviously, the very, very best in their field, in that discipline, they succeed. But, you know, this is this is not for fun. <laughs> the F in F1 is not for fun. <laughs> you know, it is uh, it is pretty it's pretty it's intense. Un- yeah, it, it, it's uh, it can be very uncomfortable. Well, Damon, let's throw it forward then to the Miami Grand Prix. You've already said that you're not going. How angry are you about that? Well, you can't do everything, Tom. You know, you can't have everything. And also, as you know, with Sky, they they have a a roster. They have they like to cycle through the uh, the guys we have presenting. And I think it makes sense that if you know, I think if Jensen Jensen will probably be there because he lives in the states, so it's easier for him. I'll get my share of races during the season, and um, I'll, I'll see you there when I get there. Yeah, but just of the new races, of the new races. This I feel that there is more of a buzz about the Miami Grand Prix than there has been for any new race that I can think of. Huge. I mean, you know, it, it's a great venue. It's a great place. Everyone knows the name Miami. Uh, everyone would love to visit Miami. It's going to be hot. <laughs> and Well, we're just entering the, the, the wet season, aren't we? Oh, so really? there might be a few Could be wet as well. Wet and hot. Um, but, you know, they, they're all excited. I know that all the, the Sky crew are kind of tripping over themselves to want to be on that race. And it's going to be a, a, a real test and, a new thing is always great in our sport. Well, none of the drivers, except for Valtteri Bottas, had actually been on the simulator and driven the new Miami International Autodrome when we were in Imola two weeks ago. But Bottas had, and he was raving about it. Yeah. I've... You know, 19 turns, you've got a couple of long straights, and he thinks there's going to be a lot of overtaking. Right, that's good. From a performance point of view, Damon, who who's going to Miami on the back foot and who's on the front foot? Who who's on the front foot? Who is full of confidence and is thinking, yeah, I'm going to go there and have a good weekend? Right. Um, hmm. Will Mercedes? Hmm. I, I I think they probably will still be hopeful. Like you said, if it's a smooth track, hasn't got too many whopping great big bumps in it, then they might be able to get their car a bit closer to the operating uh, optimum. I think Ferrari might be thinking, unless they've got a big upgrade package, they might be thinking, ooh, the tide has turned a little bit. I think Red Bull will be the most optimistic. I think they've got a spring in their step back. They've survived the transition from the old spec to the new spec. They brought the challenge relentlessly to Mercedes all last year, and they are clearly not unhappy with their car that they've got at the moment. Were you asking about who will be heading to Miami, Tom, uh, with some optimism? And hope. I think, you know, Alfa Romeo, now they've got 
a good team in Joe Guan Yu is actually doing a very good job as a new driver. And Valtteri is absolutely happy as can be, I think, there. He knows he's valuable to the team and they've provided him with the equipment. He's been, he's been in the mix. I think they're going to go there uh, feeling very positive and optimistic. I think oh, they would be looking forward to go into the next race. The transformation in Valtteri Bottas this year has been astounding. It just in terms of uh, his joie de vivre in and around the paddock, I think, is different to last year when he was at Mercedes, but also on track. The guy can overtake, Damon. And do you remember last year, everyone was critical of his lack of progress in the races, relative, you know, if he, if he was starting a little bit further down the grid and he got stuck. So often he got stuck. This year in this alpha... <laughs> He's overtaking. It's it's funny how that how that works, isn't it? I think it's very interesting how the psychology of how you perceive your relationship with your team plays out in sport. I, I've been in teams where I wasn't quite sure whether the team was run hundred percent behind me, and you're kind of you're kind of dithering. You're kind of going backwards and forwards. You kind of go, oh, you know, have I got their support, or are they? trying to get the other guy to go better once you that's cleared up once that is established in your head and and you say okay we we want Valtteri because he's won races and he's got all this experience and we've got a new guy you need Valtteri need to help him a bit and bring him on make sure he doesn't sit then Valtteri's got a job to do a role a clear role in that team which is he's a very valuable asset to them and he's now passing on information to strengthen the team and bring on Zhou Guanyu and you know, he's he can pass on all of that knowledge about what it's like to be up against the very, very... He's measured himself against the very best. And he knows he wasn't found a completely wanting, but that's okay because you're measuring yourself against a complete, almost, you know, you know, just completely once a decade, once every 20 years genius like Lewis Hamilton. Well, if Bottas is walking on water and full of confidence, a guy who's suffering massively at the minute is Nicholas Latifi, isn't it? Making lots of mistakes, just, yeah, it's really tricky time for him. It's been tough. And now he's got Alex there, who's doing a really good job. Also, Nicholas was involved in the, rather unfortunately involved in the Abu Dhabi story. And he got a terrible amount, terrible time from social media for that. And I, I just think there comes a point where you're, you know... <laughs> Uh, you might be asking yourself, why am I doing this? I don't, you know, it's more pain than gain. So it, once that starts, then you can you can start uh, making it even harder for yourself. So I hope he hasn't got into that spiral, but it's not been not been the fun time he'd be uh, hoping for. And, and he hasn't got the easiest of cars either. I mean, you know, Alex Albon driving beautifully at the minute, 10th in Australia a couple of races ago, 11th in Imola, overtaking Lewis Hamilton at one point in the race, just... But it's still, it's not an easy car, that FW44. So if you're Nicholas Latifi and you're trying to rebuild, yeah. God, you'd wish you were in a Ferrari or Red Bull, wouldn't you? And also the other thing, Tom, what happens is once you've been in the team and the team have assessed your abilities, so they're looking at the at that peak, you know, Nicholas Latifi can do a very good job, but that's his peak and it's not there enough times. So the team will be trying everything they can to help you instead of the driver helping the team you know and then that's a very uncomfortable situation yeah now it's time to put your questions to the champ questions please damon hill do you think it's time maybe you should change your approach to racing <laughs> well i don't know even how to start answering that question but anyway it's the williams leading damon hill some more 
more questions, please. Damon, were you happy with the start? Damon Hill, congratulations for this winning Damon. You must be satisfied. Any questions? Yeah. Well, Damon, it must have been absolutely gutting that last couple of laps. Damon, it looked like he had it really under control. Some more questions, please. Damon Hill has done a fantastic job. This is where you can get your question answered by Damon. It's very easy. Record it as an audio file on your phone and email it to us at askdamon at f1.com. And here's this week's first question. Hey, Damon, this is Anush here from Mumbai, and I really hope F1 comes back to India. Firstly, I'd like to commend your TCs and Natalie's efforts into making this wonderful podcast. So coming to my question, back in the day when there were no simulators and less technology, How do drivers and engineers prepare for racing at a brand new track? Cheers, guys. Thank you. Anush, I absolutely would love to come back to India. It was so much interesting stuff to do. I stayed for a week and we went around and did a little bit of a tour of India because I hadn't been there before, but it's always a very stimulating, exciting place to go. So how do we learn a circuit when we haven't been there before? Obviously, looking at the map... (laughs) That's about, when we haven't got, when we haven't got a simulator, we haven't got these accurate reproductions where you can kind of practice going on a circuit you've never been to before. The only way is literally to look at photographs or look at the circuit and then walk it when you get there. So you get there and you walk around it and you go, this is a bit like somewhere else. You know, so, I mean, there are so, only so many variations you can have of a corner. They're all individual, but somehow they're similar to something else. So you know, if, for example, it's a 90 degree corner, then it requires a certain kind of, kind of setup. If there's lots of 180 degree corners, that's a slightly different setup again. And it depends on whether it's third gear, fourth gear, you know, in other words, medium speed or low speed. So you can kind of compare it to somewhere else. You can say this is like Montreal or this is like Barcelona. You know, so you'll get some rough idea and then it's basically seat of the pants. You go out and soak up the first few laps you're trying to get markers you're trying to look for points uh, around the track that kind of become familiar because everything's unfamiliar and then suddenly it all starts to settle down in your mind it becomes clearer and then it becomes almost unconscious you know exactly where you are within a meter or two going into a corner of where you should be and pre-simulators damon would you buy let's say by the race would you have the ideal setup on the car or or would it often take a couple of years before you've really perfected it. Well, I learned a long time ago, Tom, that if you wait for the ideal setup, you'll be waiting forever. And we don't have <laughs> forever. So you'll, ne- you know, it, it, all this stuff about, oh, the, the setup was perfect. Only the guy who wins the race says his car was perfect. And that's because he wasn't having to go any faster <laughs> than he was because that's enough to win the race. So, you know, perfection is much talked about. You can get it horribly wrong. You can have a totally undrivable setup but then if you've got to the race and you've not got close then you shouldn't really be uh, doing the job and is that what simulators are giving the teams as we go to Miami it it gives them an opportunity to to avoid getting it horribly wrong that's what you're doing on the simulator you're hoping to get close a good base point you're like like trying to get a good start point and there's stuff, don't forget, there will be, this will be a completely green track. They'll have some support races, I imagine, going round. But Formula One is so powerful. The tyres, the load on the tyres is so great and the specific kind of rubber they use that they you do need F1 cars to do some laps. So the first few laps are going to be dusty as hell, you know, and there'll be tra- what they call track evolution. As they use it more, then the speed of the track goes up. 
you could start off with what you think is an absolutely dreadful setup. Quite often you turn up and you, the car's understeering and then snapping into an oversteer because it's still dusty. You come in, you make a few changes, but actually you don't need to change the car. I reckon half the time, if Formula One teams just didn't do anything, they would, <laughs> their car would get faster and faster just because the track is getting better and better. But no one ever puts that to the test. <laughs> Well, thanks, Anush. I hope Damon's managed to answer your question. Let's go to question two now. Hi, Damon. This is Wes Matthews in Denver, Colorado, United States, host of two Formula One races this season. I'm a newer Formula One fan, watched the majority of last season. My question to you is, how do I get my wife, who has not watched any F1 races, and my two kiddos, ages two and four, to get hooked onto Formula One for this season? What should we look for in those races or the whole season? Thanks. Hi, Wes. So uh, as I understand it, you're trying to get your whole family engaged so that you can watch it all together and, and you don't have to go off into the little corner of the house and uh, lock yourself away late at night so you can watch your secret F1. So we can help. We can help. What we what you need to do is you need to get them to watch the, the Netflix series because that, I think, has ignited interest from the younger generation. They, they seem to like their drivers and they think they're funny. Uh, there may be the technical side of it that, uh, that they want to get involved with. So there's lots of places you can go to look at the science of the sport and listen to our podcast. You could listen to me and Tom and Natalie. Yeah, listen to us and we will help. Yeah, I was going to say less of the Netflix, more of the F1 Nation, DH. But Damon, I put this question from Wes to Zach Brown. Yeah, well, I think if you have a look at the most recent fan survey, Lando Norris is the most popular driver with women and young adults. So I think the best way to turn uh, your, your wife and your cool kids into Formula One you got to cheer for McLaren and let him meet Lando. Zach never misses an opportunity, does he? He really doesn't. <laughs> well, he's, he, but he's, I think he's right. I don't think he's making that up. I think, you know, Lando is very likable and uh, he seems to appeal to a very wide group of people, as does Daniel Ricciardo, of course. Daniel is, you know, very outgoing and uh, a lovely chap too. They're, they all are. I mean, they're good fun. I mean, yeah. Actually, one more thing, Wes. I think there is a, a McLaren Lego car as well. Uh, which your two and four year olds might enjoy putting together, which takes hours. Apparently, it ta- I mean, uh, a friend of mine got one and he did it in one sitting, but it was like five hours of bolting the thing together. He just, yeah. oh, okay. Perhaps the two and the four year old wouldn't enjoy doing that, and you'd enjoy doing it with your wife, Wes. Or here's a suggestion: Why don't you take your family to a race? It's only a short. 14-hour drive from Denver to the Circuit of the Americas in Austin. So if you're free from October the 21st to the 23rd, we'd love to see you there, along with the 400,000 other people that are going to be there. But take them to a race. Get the merch. Buy the merch. Buy the hot dogs. Soak it up. So thank you very much indeed for those questions, guys and girls. And uh, if you want to ask us, anyone else out there wants to ask us more questions, please do and record it on one of your phone recording apps and then send it in as a voice message to us at askdamon at f1.com. Yep, I'll second that. Get your questions in now and we will endeavour to answer them. Well, Damon, that's almost it for this week. Well, have a nice time in Miami then, Tom. Welcome to Miami. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Top three? Difficult one, isn't it? Top three. Top three. Top Go three. on. What's your podium um, looking like? Okay. This is it. 
Ferrari are going to bring an upgrade package that will give them just the edge. Maybe Carlos Saints will win. I'm going to say Ferrari won two with Max third. Interesting. Interesting. God, I mean, if Carlos Carlos Sainz, if he didn't have bad luck, he, he'd have no luck at all at the minute, would he? He, he really needs uh, a good result this weekend. And what with 70% of Miami's population being Hispanic, I think that would be a popular win. We'll be in. If you're being sensible, it's hard to look outside of Ferrari and Red Bull for the podium. But as Valtteri Bottas told us last week, there is going to be lots of overtaking. I am hoping that we're going to see Carlos Sainz win a race. I'd love to see him kickstart his season that way. But then I think we might have a slightly scrappy, messy race. You know, maybe there's a thunderstorm before the start and we're going to get a little bit of jeopardy. So if Carlos wins it, I think we're going to see Lando Norris on the podium in second place with Lewis Hamilton. I think we're going to see Lewis Hamilton do something special this weekend. I think Miami's going to bring out the best in him. So I'm going... Science Norris Hamilton. That's my podium. Okay. Well, on that note, I think all we need to say is thank you for listening. And F1 Nation will be back on Tuesday, the 10th of April from Miami. We'll be doing that from inside the paddock there. And if you haven't already, please hit the follow button on your podcast app so you can get our next episode as soon as it's released. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Thanks for listening. <laughs>